This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Good day from the front porch out there, Braves country. Welcome to the Tomahawk Take Podcast, Off Leo's Rocker. This is Alan Carpenter, and I'm here with Fred Owens, as usual. Good evening, as usual. We have seen the Braves do a 4-2 and two record over last week. Of course, that was including a 1-2 and two performance against the Mets, unfortunately, as for some reason our starting pitchers seemed to have the yips this last week, and none of them were exactly on point. That led to the Mets taking two out of three and not being able to contain the run so much. Uh, Spencer Strider was able to do that better than anybody else, and that was accounting for the the win he got in the middle game of that series. But we're still in, in striking distance, two and a half games back. They're playing the Nationals as we record this, and that'll take us to the All-Star break. But, uh, Fred, do you have any takeaways of note for that uh, last Met series? Yeah, everybody uh, come climb down off the cliff, please. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> it was a series. And head-to-head matchups rarely determine the division. Usually the head-to-head matchups in a division where it's really close, they're, with, they're a game one way or a game the other way. They're close to 500 series. If one of the teams beats you 75% of the games head-to-head, you ain't that close in the, season, in the, in the division. Most of the time, the head-to-head matchup uh, comes out to about a 500. What you have to do is beat everybody else more than them. You know, we've, we've done that so far, but again, they get the same, you know, pretty much the same schedule in September that we had to get to, to catch up with them. So we have to keep burning it up. We have to keep beating the teams we should be beating. We have to start taking some series from teams we, we should, we're going, we should be, you know, 500 or better with the best teams in the league. We took the Cardinals and wiped them out. And then they went and beat the Dodgers. Who knew? But uh, it's it, it's you've got to beat everybody else. The head if you can play the division the division other guy that's beating you in the division straight up, you'll probably win if you're better than him against everybody else because that, that's where that's the way the numbers work out. I don't worry so much about head head matchups until it's the last series of the season and the winner of that series goes through. Then you can tell me about head-to-head matchups. Until then, we've got to beat everybody else. Let the hope, hope the Mets don't and, and go from there. Charlie Morton made a great point about that. The Mets batters did something Braves batters don't do. Nemo looked like he had 10 pitches every at-bat. They yes. wore the Braves pitchers down. They took pitches and fouled off pitches and took pitches and fouled off pitches. And, of course, if the Braves had been closer to the plate, that might not have happened. But they didn't 
They weren't worried about getting deep in the count. And Braves hitters aren't worried about either because they never do. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the thing. If I have something to say, if I'm if I was Ken Leitzer, I would say, guys, we got to swing at more than one pitch per at bat. We, we we have to. The odds of getting a hit uh, off a first pitch strike are about eight percent, well, eight to ten percent, depending on the year. So, if your odds are ninety percent or ninety two percent against you, if you swing at that first strike, don't do it all the time. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. And pitchers throw it all the time because the the logic of you getting killed on that first pitch is 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 all goes against you. The numbers go against that. So just go out and take some pitches, make them throw strikes, and be be good at it, and we'll be fine. Yeah, that kind of goes against the religion of the pitchers too, in that they're always trained to try and get ahead of the hitters, get ahead of in the count, throw first pitch strikes, and of course. Teams that know this and and see that and the, the trends are going to go after the first pitch and that so that kind of lends itself to the kind of thing you're talking about. But at the same time, you you, you want to get a good strike. You can't just go willy nilly and say you you're going to swing at the first pitch and and go with it as is because sometimes it's you know there are better strikes than others uh and that's true Leo, i mean Leo, Leo yeah. Mazzoni would certainly uh agree to that too because he he loved to have a first pitch strike but it was also a well-located strike yeah the, the, the thing about it is that the first pitch strike for a pitcher make makes the run value of that of the pitches after that point a point zero two nine Okay, it's 0.29 run value minus and a negative 0.29 run value after first strike on that. If you give him a first strike, the run value is 0.40. So there's nearly three quarters of a run difference between throwing a first pitch strike and throwing a first pitch ball. And that progresses through the game. Your pitchers don't go deep into the games. Your bullpens get called in and here you are. Now, you mentioned schedule and I did a little bit of work to try and look at the second half schedules coming up and there is a built-in advantage for the Mets actually as as we go through this they have uh a- after this weekend once we get to the All-Star break they have 69 games remaining in the season 38 of those are at home 31 are away so they've got a, a home advantage of 7 games and they are pretty good at home they're not terrible on the road either obviously they've got a good record but if you want to give them an advantage you give them more home games and that is the case the Braves on the other hand have 68 games remaining 33 of those are at home 35 on the road so Atlanta is going to be away from Truist Park more often than not coming down the stretch it's a little bit subtle but it it is nonetheless a fact the Braves schedule looks to be a little bit I guess I'd say on balance, it's not too bad. They do have Houston for three. That's going to be in Atlanta. But most of the teams that they play, I would have to say, advantage Braves. The Mets, on the other hand, start out from the All-Star break against the Padres and then the Yankees. At some point, they've got two more against the Yankees and three more against the Dodgers. So that's that's their first half of the second half, if you want to look at it that way. Coming down the stretch, both teams are you know, fairly straightforward. They've got Milwaukee coming up fairly late. 
uh, as part of a West Coast road trip. They go to Milwaukee and then they go to Oakland, but Oakland is going to be a shell of themselves by that point. So I don't think that's going to be a big deal. Similarly, the Braves have to go to Oakland, Seattle, and San Francisco to finish their last West Coast road trip. But again, uh, by that point, Oakland's not going to be much of a, a team. I don't know what where Seattle's going to go. They've obviously got a long win streak right now going on. And the Giants are, are fading fast, so I don't know that they're going to be a big challenge. So the difference in schedule right now is probably negligible between the Mets' difficulties in, in the teams that they face and their extra home games. That's probably about a push overall. So the Braves are still going to have to take care of business, but I, I don't see any uh, huge advantages either way on the schedule. We can't worry about advantages on the schedule, but we can't go into a funk like we did a couple weeks back and start losing six. Because if we do that, then that gives them the opportunity to jump back out to the big lead. And it's important to win the division. Winning the division is important. Uh, and I think we have to go for that. And because I don't know whether we're going to come in first in the wild card or not, I don't, where we stand on that, I don't pay attention to that at this point. But if we have to, be, we have to win the division first, and if not, we have to be good enough to be the first wild card that gets that by. Uh, yeah. And and to do that, um, we got to win, and and that's what we need to do right now. So yeah. And that brings me into pitching, and I think that's over to you, right? <laughs> yeah, let uh, I'll tell you what is good enough is Michael Harris the second. <laughs> he yeah. he just hit a home run and then just as uh, you were talking he threw out a runner at the home plate. So he he's doing it all tonight. That that throw was a beauty to behold. He didn't overthrow it, but he put it right on the on the money. <laughs> no pun intended. I, he's 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 impressive out there. I wonder if he's giving Ronnie inferiority complex. I, <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of Ronnie, there's some news about him and the Home Run Derby. He's going to be in the Home Run Derby, and looks like uh, we've got the brackets out there now. He's going to be facing Pete Alonzo in the first round. They were seeded by the number of home runs that each player has hit in the first half. And, of course, Acuna wasn't around for some of that, so he's got a, a sort of a suppressed number. So I'm betting Pete Alonzo's looking at that and saying, Oh, great. I got to face him in the first round. <laughs> so, but it's, it's Alonso versus Acuna, Kyle Schwarber versus Albert Pujols. Sorry, Albert, but your uh, stay in the home run derby is going to be pretty short. Juan Soto versus Jose Ramirez, Corey Seeger and Julio Rodriguez. Those are the first round matchups. I'm guessing right now it's Seeger to come out of the first round. I think Soto, you think Ramirez. Uh, and Schwarber's going to just destroy Pujols, unfortunately. As far as Alonso and Acuna, fresh um, hitters there. They're, they're not going to be fatigued at that point. Boy, I, I have no idea how that's going to work, but I do think Ronnie's going to have his work cut out for him because Alonso certainly has the staying power that we've seen in the past to put up a whole bunch of uh, homers very easy. So unless uh, Ronnie's got his... Um, swinging shoes on, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can get out of that first round. It's going to be a tough one no matter what. But, you know, that it's, it's a made-for-TV event. I don't know if necessarily anybody likes it or not, but it, it's at least uh, relatively entertaining. Well, I mean, uh, this, the people who like that like like 14 to 16 baseball games, I guess. <laughs> it, it, it proves nothing. Uh, other than uh, somebody's big and strong can hit batting practice home runs. 
Okay. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me for MLB to put those ha- happy little balls back out there again so they go farther. Everybody goes, ooh, ha, and forgets yes. it doesn't, doesn't count. Okay. Uh, at, the thing that's interesting about that, of course, Alonzo, he is, he's a big stretch, a bad man. Okay. It's a bad, <laughs> bad man. And he's done it twice and he knows how to do it without getting himself in a jam out there, wearing himself out, uh, like Freddie did and a couple of others did when they took part. And I think, I think Alonzo beats Ronnie in that just simply because that's what he does. Ronnie hits home runs, but he also hits doubles, triples, uh, runs the bases. He does all those other things that make him a five-tool player. Alonzo's got maybe a tool and a half, but there are good ones. And, you know, <laughs> and he knows how to use them. So I, you know, I kind of favor him in that matchup. Not that I'll pay any attention to it. I think if they were going to have poo holes in the derby, they should have matched him up with Miguel Cabrera. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the only – that's the real matchup. You don't want him matched up. Schwarber's going to kill him. I mean, honestly, Schwarber hits home runs while he's drinking his morning coffee. I, I think – I you know, I'm the guy who said Albert should have retired six years ago while he had his pride, okay? Uh, and I still believe that. He he took money under false pretenses. He was sub he was a sub-one war uh, player for five years. Uh, all he did was hung around and compiled home runs so everybody could – he got XXX home runs and XXX triples. He's high on this list. He's on, he passed Stan Musial, whose shoes he couldn't carry for the, in this particular instance, uh, for that particular thing. So I, I just wish if they were going to do that, they put Miggy on the AL team. They should put Albert on the NL, uh, NL team and then put them together in the special bracket of the home run derby to see which grandfather could win. Yeah, kind of like an old-timers game for the home run derby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> an old-timers home run derby. Heck, they might have got a chipper out there. Uh, yeah, the the only thing I'm thinking in, in terms of that first round is, yes, Alonso knows how to do this, but uh, if Ronnie gets a swing going, he could push him quite a while and, and quite long in that. So it, there's a fair chance that uh, whoever gets out of that round is, is winded by the time they're done. And so... Right now, I'm I'm kind of thinking Schwarber versus Alonso in the finals, and Schwarber wins it. But we'll see how that goes. And that's probably about all the time I can justify spending on this podcast for that topic. So let's go on to something else. And that something else is the news of the week, really, is that uh, uh, early this week, the Braves pulled off a trade with the Kansas City Royals. The Royals are giving up their 35th pick in the draft coming up Sunday. That pick is a competitive balance pick that's offered to the lower revenue clubs. <clears throat> and the Braves have given up Drew Waters, C.J. Alexander, and pitcher Andrew Hoffman. That is intriguing on so many levels. And there's a question I want to ask when we get done with this about uh, prospects in general for the Braves. But uh, first off, let's talk about how this trade is going to change the draft on Sunday. It does add $2.2 million to the Braves bonus pool. That's the amount that the teams are allowed to spend. And I think you did the math and, and ultimately it raises the, the amount that they are going to get to spend that the maximum amount they can spend to something on the order of 11, 11 and a half million dollars, I think, uh, 10. before 7. They, oh, that, that much before the, the 5% kicks in or is that after? Yeah. 
It was ten point. It was ten point two before. I know. Yeah, the five. It's five. It's five hundred thousand additional. Okay. 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 And and so that takes it to like ten point seven. Uh, and, oh, my math and, is off. Sorry. Yeah, and that that's that doesn't include the seventy five percent tax they've got to pay on that. Okay. Oh, that's where I get that number. So okay. you have to yeah. you have to take seventy five percent of the five hundred thousand and add it on, and then that that makes it like eleven point two or something like that. Off the top of my head, I didn't okay. carry it that far because that's the variable. It depends on how far over that you go. Okay. You know, they may not go all five hundred thousand over. They're going to push it, no doubt. And I and he in in his interview with Schultz today, he pointed out. He said, "Look, the Braves used up uh, a lot of their um, high level talent." There are holes in the minor league system. That's why they traded Drew Waters for that 35th draft pick. By the way, Waters was a 41st draft pick, so it's about an even swap <laughs> of, of, of that. Uh, and that's why they used him for that, and then they're going to use it. And, and this is, makes the point that, that I, I think I made in my post. I remember that last week. Uh, they, it, the point was that they're not likely to go over slot for anybody. This is to refill the, the draft with high-quality players. And they're going to go, they're going to get high quality, multiple high quality players with that money. Uh, and then that's what, because that's, that's reading between the lines, that's what he said. Okay. Now I've got a little bit of a different take on that here. Now, first off, the bottom line is that their bonus pool has increased by 20%. It went from about 8 million to 10.2 million. So, I think that that gives them flexibility to roll with whatever the draft ends up giving them. Uh, if a particular player the, that they want drops or somebody that they didn't think they were going to get to drops to the 20th slot, then I think they may be uh, quite willing and able now, of course, to go over slot and get them. Now, the question is who that might be we have no idea there's no way to know until that happens on sunday night but i think it does give them the flexibility to roll with the draft in a different way perhaps that said they do now have six draft picks in the first four rounds uh, they've got the regular four they've got this new one that they just traded for and then the compensation pick for having uh, lost freddie freeman so Six picks in the first four rounds is pretty doggone good, and I and that's like the first 125 players selected. So it does give them a chance to to do some good things, and it, I don't think we're going to see you know in the third, fourth, fifth rounds, whatever, a lot of hundred thousand dollar kind of signings. I think they're going to go after some real players. Overall, I do think I'm I'm fairly excited to see what they do end up with in this draft. But I still want to see a hitter in the first round. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I and you know I was only sort of half kidding when I said I want Spencer Jones because uh, I think you know if a fellow drops from number fourteen to number twenty, why would you give him number fourteen money? He's already fell fallen six spots, he, and he's going to fall farther. <laughs> it depends who. If it's a high school kid that you've got to talk out of college, then you may have to. Uh, yeah, but you've got to you got to really want that guy too. Yeah, I don't think there's, I mean, okay, there may be a couple of guys out there that are like that, but, uh, Barrera, or Barreri, or whatever his name is, <laughs> he's, he's, he's sort of Pedro Romero, uh, Pedro Martinez size guy in high school. Uh, he's, and all we, we all know that, that, uh, unless you're uh, a gift from God like Pedro Romero, uh, Pedro Martinez was, uh, guys under six foot, uh, Marcus Stroman is, uh, is another one. Yeah. Guys under six foot, 
who don't have the mechanics of a of a Strider. Uh, and uh, what I read of Barraria's uh, mechanics are aren't wonderful, but they're good, but they're not wonderful. So what I'm saying is he's risky. I just I don't know. Maybe I, maybe you're correct. I, we have no idea here what we're doing, but I think they're going to at least two big hitters in this that are going to be ready for the majors pretty quickly. And I think that there's a good chance that their outfielders, um, maybe one of the, if one of those shortstops falls to us, uh, or we decide to jump in and grab a shortstop that you know, somebody after us was going to take, maybe they go over slot for that because a couple of those shortstops are pretty good looking guys, but only yeah. a couple of them. And they, those guys probably won't make it out of the first dozen. Once you get past the first 10 or 15 people in this, in this draft, and uh, the pitchers are much of a muchness. And you can probably get a guy in the second round who's really pretty close to as good as the guy you're going to get number 20 in the first round uh, from the high from a high school. That's that's my view on it. That's what I read on it. I could be, of course, wrong. I usually am, so there's nothing unusual there. Just reading what he said today, where did I put that? I know I put it somewhere today. Uh, left holes in the minor league system. We want to try to restock. We want to try to restock. We've graduated a lot of players to the big league level. We've made trades. From a farm system standpoint, our player development is at first base. We used all the guys on second and third to get Olsen. Uh, and it's in center field, Harris, and our good guys are in center field. It's Harris and, and, and on the mound and Strider. In a non-contending year, there's no chance Strider and Harris are in the big leagues. They're probably getting more development time building innings up and at bats. We'd have done level to level stuff. We moved him up and it's work kind of thing. I mean, this is that he stops there, but. What he said was, we're trying to restock. You restock by adding people. That's the Jeff Schultz interview in, in The Athletic Today. Uh, Schultz Braves GM and Dallas Anthopoulos on Mets series trade deadline and MLB draft. All right. Let me give you a for instance here. Suppose Kumar Rocker is available at position 20. Do you take him? Sure. Okay. And because uh, and he's because he's damn near ready now and development time is no, and he's not he's not going to turn down another offer. I would think not. Uh, and twenty, give, 20 might give, be about right. Yeah, and you're going to give him. You're going to give him slot, maybe. Okay. You could say, oh, I know, but you had a shoulder surgery last year. This is what we're going to give you. And we're taking you at twenty. Take it. Yeah. Don't take it. If you don't take it, I may lose the money. If you don't take it, you're out of the game. I'm I mean, still, seriously, he, he, yeah. he put himself in a corner, but yeah, I think that uh, there's going to be a really good player of some ilk at position 20, whether it's Rocker or the guy I want, which is Chase DeLauder, who seems to be growing every time I look at the numbers. I think he's up to six foot five now. I saw an interview on YouTube with him. He was like 5'9 as a junior in high school, and, and that's why he didn't get recruited. Now all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> Out of James Madison, he's uh, blossomed into this monster hitter. So yeah, he's, uh, he's, last, last mock I saw, he was going to the team. He's going at number 19. Yeah, figures. Uh, no, I there's there's mocks all over the place uh, for all these guys. I've seen him, I think, as high as tenth and as low as maybe thirtieth or or twenty fifth or something. So it, it, that's the problem with the MLB draft. You got so many different evaluators. You got so many different looks and so many different opinions as to what you're going to see out there. But again, I think that's why the Braves are going to get somebody pretty good in there.
you made, though, about restocking the farm system does lead me to this next thing, though. And that is, you know, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN has the Braves ranked 30th now, dead last in their minor league farm system. And that's not really a knock on them. It's just because they've made all the graduations now that that they should. Striders in the majors and no longer considered a prospect. Michael Harris in the majors, no longer considered a prospect. Those kind of guys and waters, depending on what your opinion was of him, are the kinds of guys that they were still hanging their hat on in terms of having real value in the in the farm system. But the question I've got is, does Atlanta hold on to their prospects too long? What we have seen is Sean Newcomb ended up uh, being designated for assignment. He was uh, then dumped to the Cubs on a quickie trade. Tuki Toussaint, same thing to the Angels. Drew Waters now, uh, I think they've done the best on. They managed to turn him into a, a useful draft pick. But those kind of guys and, and more, I think, you know, over the last two years or so, I've been beating the drum that said, we've got too many pitching prospects at the upper minor leagues. We need to either turn them into other prospects or use them to get something very useful at the major league level while these guys haven't rotted on the vine. And that's effectively what's what's happened with those three guys, Newcomb, Toussaint, and Waters. There's either prospect fatigue or they got to a point where they could not progress any further. Obviously, uh, Sean Newcomb uh, and uh, Toussaint has ha- have had their stints in the majors, but they didn't have staying power there. The one guy who has blossomed that I can almost put in that category is Kyle Wright. He's figured it out. I don't know that uh, Newcomb and Toussaint have figured it out, and we've got some other guys that have been along the way that uh, have had the same kind of issues that have been traded. I, I wonder if... If the Braves had to do it over again, if they'd rather use these guys as trade bait a lot sooner. I was one of the vocal ones that said, yeah, trade trade Tukey, trade trade Newcomb, trade these guys because you're not going to get much out of them. Uh, I traded right two or three times in the mocks. Uh, And you're still trying to trade Freddie Tarnock. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, you look at what you've got out there and what's the point of return. Let's say... You draft, you draft a pitcher, uh, you drafted Sean Newcomb. You bring in Sean Newcomb and you, Sean Newcomb comes to the thing and he comes to the majors and he's not quite making it 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 and he does that for three years. He had value at one point. Okay. It went down after he didn't make it the first time. That's when you get rid of him because if you could look at that and say he's not changing. There was nobody, nobody in the system said that Newcomb was going to change who he was, but he had value to other teams at that point. It's a question of your evaluation of the system. And I think what's changed over since that time is that Anthopoulos brought in his man. The reason Mike Harris is in the major leagues right now is because Dana Brown, Dana Brown's beating him up saying, bring that man up, bring that man up. He's ready now. Bring him up. Yep. Yep, I told you today to bring him up. And the same with Strider. Yes. He's ready now. He can do this. Bring him up. He's ready now. He can do this. When that man says he's not doing this anymore, it's time to move the guy. Trust him because he's right. I mean, he gets him. You get him. And it's not just one guy. You get it for all the all your scouts. But at some point along the line, you have to look out there and say, okay, even if Sean Newcomb becomes a number three starter, I have a chance to go get this man who's ready now. This is what sort of aggravates me about everybody complaining about the Wainwright trade. Okay, 
Adam Wainwright was a good pitcher beginning in about 2007, six in 2007. He was a reliever in two, or yeah, he was a reliever in, in 2005. 2009, he was pretty much a 500 pitcher. Do you think he would have still been with the Braves at that point? Frank Graham was the GM. Do you think he'd have still been there at that point? No. Mm. Okay. So when you brought in J.D. Drew, what J.D. Drew did, he, he took you to the postseason. That's what you brought him in for. So you, you look at the system as it is now, and you say, this man will get me to the postseason. Once I'm in the postseason, I can win. If I don't win next year, that's fine. But I can get in this year, and I have a chance to win this year, and maybe that will help me win next year. You keep Wayno, you don't get in in 2003, the streak's over, and the, the downhill turn, uh, they lost like $40 million in three, and they started cutting payroll in 2004, uh, and, and that put us into this cycle of, of uh, the doldrums that we were in. Uh, that and, and bad drafts, we didn't draft anybody worth after 2003 until we got to Freeman and Hayward. And so you, you, get, you get that going to that slump because you didn't take your chance. So I'm with you. I think it has, it can't just be, it can't just be gee whiz. I want it to be that way. It has to be all my people tell me, look, I don't think he's going to be any better than he is. And then you trade. Yeah. I'm, I admit I'm trying to look at this objectively, but it, it's obvious that we can be too hard on these guys because some things are going to hit, some things are not going to hit. And sometimes you kind of evaluate and, and think, well, this guy's going to turn it around, and he just doesn't. And I think the Angels are, are going through a struggle like that with Joe Adele, for instance. He's, and it wasn't just them, but a lot of people thought he was the number one prospect in baseball for a while. And he just has not been able to, to make anything go at the major league level. This happens, and I, you know, you can't just – Say that you're going to have hits on everybody and you can't make the perfect decisions on everybody. But at the same time, you just, you, know, you do the best you can. And, and if you see something obvious or at least something that seems obvious from afar, then you got to make the best call you can or get the best deal you can when, when that arises. So it's always going to be an inexact science and there's no way to, to improve on that really except just by the experience of doing what you can. And yeah, we, we talk about Dana Brown and the fact that, uh, he's, he's hit on Strider and Michael Harris. That's great. There's a lot of other guys he probably hasn't hit on, but at the same time, if you get two out of a couple of batches here and there, that's still pretty good. And, and that, that's what you need to have a, a continuous pipeline of those kind of guys coming to the majors. But at the same time, say if you flip a coin 10 times, uh, sometimes you're going to get it five times heads. Sometimes you're going to get two times heads. Sometimes you're not going to get any. That's just the way it goes. It's a tough business to be in, and it's tough to be right all the time. So I'm saying all this, saying, yes, I think the Braves held on to those guys too long, but at the same time, I would hate to be in the position of those guys to make those evaluations because we're also talking about people's lives here. So you, you want to have the most optimistic viewpoint of everybody you can, but it doesn't always work out that way. One more thing that happened this week, a trade for cash considerations totaling $1. The Braves decided that Phil Gosselin wasn't quite doing it offensively for them. Orlando Arcia has come back to earth and not quite doing it for them. So they've picked up a 
kid in AAA that was hitting over 300 for the San Diego Padres, a Robinson Cano. We had um, various, let's say, unfavorable initial reactions to this, but at the same time, uh, he is a left-handed bat. He is a good, still a good defensive guy. Maybe not with the range he used to have, but I guess we're still kind of hoping that he doesn't need steroids to perform anymore. And so far, I think he, Cano's gotten three hits. Hasn't shown any power yet, but at the same time, we did need a little bit of offense. Don't necessarily need home run power, but did need a left-handed bat. And that's what the Braves have picked up for the Padres. Your reactions, Fred? Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a great fan of cheaters like him, but uh, at the same time, Anthopolis said today that he doesn't expect Ozzy back until the middle of August or the 1st of September. He's only about 75% of the weight on his foot right now. Uh, that means that they had to have a second baseman or they had to try to find a second baseman that could actually hit. And they're hoping that Cano does that. And we don't know. Maybe Cano's here 10 days and he, he flops around like a fish out of water and they, they chuck him. But you, you've got to have somebody going forward there. And if Cano works out, then you have the bat that Alex was looking for a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, bringing a left-handed bat on board. Um, I don't know whether he's going to work out or not. They're hoping he's going to be a mentor to uh, Acuna. But I don't, and I don't know how that's going to work out. The people in Seattle seem to think he was a great guy for the, for the young, young players on their team. And it was the same thing in New York. Uh, he would still be in New York if he'd hit. And that's what bothers me a little bit is he went to New York. He didn't hit. He went to San Diego. He didn't hit. Now he goes down to triple A and he hits. Yeah, but triple A El Paso, that's a lot like playing in, in New, in New Mexico. Uh, yep. it's, it's just not a very good, very good place to judge a hitter from. But hey, look, I hope he succeeds because we have a long period before we get Ozzy back and we don't know what we're going to get with Oz when we get him back. So, uh, I, I hope it works. I, I really want him to work because the Braves really need the guy. Yeah, and mind you, Ozzy wasn't exactly hitting that well when he was even healthy. So very true. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's kind of been a hole in the lineup, regardless. And uh, other than the few um, games that Arcia had been uh, hitting well, I I do think that uh, they certainly still need some help there. And I don't know that that the team is done there necessarily. We, we've talked about Brandon Drury as a possible pickup from the Reds. He does not hit from the left side, but at the same time, he, he is hitting a lot with a lot more power and a lot more prowess. Question then is going to, is going to be whether Cano can hit enough over the next couple of weeks to make the Braves forget about that idea. We're just going to have to see how it works. I think they're going to continue to platoon him with Arcia, you know, go lefty righty that way. But we'll we'll see how it goes in, in terms of his actual performance. But that was an interesting kind of under the radar, almost stealth mode pickup on a Sunday night. I, I thought it was interesting and intriguing, and a little comical that the the Mets were paying a guy to try and beat them last week. Yeah, the Mets are are still on the hook for the rest of his contract, something on the order of forty million dollars. The Braves only have to pay the major league minimum. So hey. Low risk. In fact, pretty much no risk whatsoever. So I, I'm, I guess in terms of just procedurally and in terms of shrewdness, I, I like the move from, from Anthopolis to do this. We'll just have to see how it turns out. 
Yeah, well, and I mean, it, what, what you didn't cost anything, and that the, the, that's the problem. I I wanted to know. My first reaction was what fell through that made them turn to him. That was my thought, and I I don't have any indication that anything did. Uh, Anthopoulos said right now, no, everybody's focused on the draft. Nobody's talking trade, and that makes sense. So you know, we'll maybe wheels will start turning uh, uh, the week after that. Uh, but for right now, nobody's doing anything. They're talking, and maybe something happens. Yeah, and I I don't know that anything necessarily had to fall through. I think it's exactly what you just suggested that everybody's talking about the draft, and that may be an unintended consequence of the fact that they moved the draft from the first week of June now to the All Star break, because that's six weeks later, and it gives the the teams an opportunity to see kids that are have finished the College World Series and they don't have to worry about that kind of distraction. But at the same time, it also backs it up almost to the trade deadline and essentially, like you say, puts the brakes on any trade discussions until then. So it may not be that anything fell through, but it may be that they couldn't get any momentum going on any any ideas. This trade for the 35th pick had a sense of urgency to it, I guess, be, simply because the draft what is coming up on Sunday. But that's a, a different kettle of fish from the idea of a trade deadline kind of a deal. I do think we're going to see a flurry of things going uh, the last day or two before that deadline hits. But, I, I do think that some of the prices we're going to see are going to be on the crazy side. And again, like we've been saying, if you don't have the collateral to spend to, to do that kind of thing, there's not going to be a lot going on. And I, I have a hunch that the, the Braves might get shut out of some things that they'd rather get done uh, by August 2nd or 1st or whatever the, the deadline actually is now. We're just going to see how it works. Yeah, I, I, I think the draft – the draft has got everybody short here. And, and MLB had quietly said to teams, you know, we don't really want you trading right before the All-Star game because it causes problems. I mean, uh, you, you, the players were traded right before the All-Star game. And, right. you know, like Jeff, Jeff Samarja came out, and they, they were initially going to have him have him be introduced in a generic National League uniform and then go over something in the American League dugout. And then they said, uh, well, no, we're just going to have him sit in the National League dugout. So even though he was on the Oakland Athletics at the time. So Samarja's uh, all-star game wasn't exactly a classic for him. And and I think MLB wants to avoid that in the future. And, and they've made any big announcements around the week of the all-star game. So I think that, you know, if you can't get it done uh, with the t- player that's likely to be in the all-star game, before the first of the month, MLB says, hey, you know, maybe you can sit on that a little bit. Not that they would turn it down, but, you know, probably it's not best for the game, you know, if you do that, uh, because uh, that, that takes money away from us, and that's what we're doing now for anyway. <laughs> yeah, particularly if you trade the only representative for a particular team away, and yep. that would cause some issues, and that seems like that's come up once or twice, so... Yeah, you don't want to do that if you can avoid it. So I, I think the unofficial official trade season is now after the All-Star break, through the trade deadline, and almost nothing else. Any other thoughts before we get out here? It's going to be a fairly short one tonight, I think. Again, I would urge everybody to get off the, get off the ledge and go back inside and have a cup of coffee. It was one series. Um, you know, these three pitchers aren't going to pitch that bad again three days in a row. This isn't going to happen. Kyle's not exactly killing it tonight, or he wasn't early on. I had to leave leave my TV to come in here, but he wasn't exactly um, lights out early on either. Pitchers go through this. It's a long season. 
you know, you know, maybe they got out of bed with a toe hurting this morning or their stomach ache or great aunt Hilda called them uh, and, and she's not feeling well or something. They're people just like us and they come to work and they can't turn off what their family's doing. Even, you know, maybe their family lives someplace where there's one of these floods going on or something. And there's an issue with that. Um, so it, it's just, we, we look at these guys, well, they're not, not a hundred percent today. No, after the first of the year, nobody's a hundred percent. These guys are doing really good stuff. Uh, they're all going to hold up, uh, looks like, uh, but you know, they probably do need help. Uh, I, I'd like to see them get a, get a pitcher to help them. And it, it would be sort of, uh, appropriate if, if Thor ended up in Atlanta along with Cano and they, uh, those two of them ended up beating the Mets in the last game <laughs> of the season. That would be the kind of, that would be the kind of symmetry that I could fall in love with. I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of gratitude for the fact that there's a all-star break coming up next week, coming from the pitching staff. The, the team is in a 20 games in a row, 20 days stretch, and I, I think everybody could use a good break there. So we'll, we'll see if they can actually get that. I don't know if Max Fries going to have much of a break if he's flying back and forth across the country. Yeah, they're in Washington now. They they opened the break against the Angels back in Atlanta and got three there, then immediately get back on the road to Philadelphia. So no rest for the weary, probably, but that's what you get in a 162-game schedule, I guess. Until then, you talking to everybody off the ledge, I'm going to talk us off the front porch, and we'll see if we can do this again next week and see how, how things are going, see how close we are to the Mets at that point. Until then, this is Off Leo's Rocker. We thank you so much for, for checking us out at TomahawkTake.com, and we thank you so much for indulging these two grumpy old men. See you next time. Off Leo's Rocker is a podcast presentation for the fans of the Atlanta Braves. It's brought to you from TomahawkTake.com and the far-reaching and ever-building podcast network of Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media, Inc., Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants, and we get away with that since we rely on the fact that Minute Media can't listen to everything we're doing. All rights reserved. All of the musical selections used in this episode come via rights purchased by TomahawkTech.com, so please patronize our sponsors, whoever they might actually be. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today, and may all of your draft picks turn out to be solid prospects and not sorry suspects. So we'll just go off and pour a glass of sweet tea now, and we'll talk with you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.